This morning's scripture comes from the Gospel Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. The word of God from the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Since the beginning of 2020, we have been working our way through the early chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. The last month or so, we've spent our time in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's where we will continue today. This is a large portion of the teaching that we have received from Jesus. And since we are disciples of Jesus, we must continue to learn what he taught and how to practically apply those teachings to our lives today. We have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount through the lens of the main theme of Jesus' teaching, which is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We have talked about the Beatitudes, or good news, not because of who we are, but because of what Christ has offered. We have talked about the fact that we have been given a great gift in the invitation to the kingdom of heaven. And it is our job to extend that gift to others by inviting them into the kingdom. Today, Jesus' teaching shifts from who is invited into the kingdom and the fact that we should invite people into the kingdom to talking about what is the kingdom of heaven. What does it actually look like? The crowd that followed Jesus throughout his years of ministry were primarily other Jews, people who had the same culture and the same heritage that Jesus grew up with. So this teaching only really makes sense if you understand that when Jesus references what people have heard, he's talking about what they have been taught in the temple and in the synagogues. To say you have heard that it was said referred to the hearing of scripture because people didn't have access to their own Bibles at that point. The scripture was on scrolls and it was the Old Testament. People would go to the temple or they would go to the synagogue to hear the scrolls being read and to listen to the rabbis expound on the scriptures. So this is what Jesus is doing, expounding on this scripture and on the teachings that people have already heard, much like a rabbi would do, much like a pastor does. So this passage Jesus is connecting his teaching to that of the Old Testament. He's taking what is known and he's expanding it. Jesus isn't rejecting the Old Testament or the law that people have known. You know, I've heard in the past Christians say things like, why do we need the Old Testament when we have Jesus? 
because Jesus' own scripture was the Old Testament, and his teaching only makes sense in light of what had already been revealed in those words. He is commenting on what has been taught, and this is known as the Sermon on the Mount, and he's pushing boundaries of what has been accepted and what will be accepted in the kingdom of heaven. So for centuries, the Jewish people have been passing down the writings of the Torah and the prophets. That's what we call the Old Testament. The Torah, which is the law, is the first five books. And they were especially important. And the Jewish people would create systems of laws in order to help them obey the very specific instructions from God. The command to tithe, which is to give 10% of what you have to God, would get so specific that people would start to measure out their spices in order to make sure they gave 10% of all that they had. People would argue over what constituted as work because they wanted to draw very specifically where the line was for what was acceptable to do on the Sabbath. You see, they were technically people. They had made the law into the system of outward action, some that were acceptable and some that were not. As long as you completed the actions that were acceptable and avoided the actions that were not acceptable, you were fine. You know, technically, I did exactly what you asked me to do. If someone challenged them, I imagine a conversation that would reflect Darren's son. Well, technically, I gave 10% of my possessions, but this farmland doesn't technically belong to me. So the crops in that field are technically someone else's responsibility to tithe. You see where I'm going with this? This is the kind of attitude that they have. Technically, they are doing what they are asked, but you know that they are already looking for the loopholes. And I'm looking at you, Espen. Yeah. I'm not above calling people out. Espen is our loophole finder for every game in youth group. I have to spend an extra amount of time before youth group every week to go, how is Espen going to challenge me this week, right? You know it's true, don't you? Yeah. They're following the letter of the law, but they're not following the spirit, which is why the law was created. Fast forward to Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is where God truly reigns and this kingdom is the ideal. It is what should be, not just what technically passes for following God's will. And Jesus starts with a pretty startling law. One of the Ten Commandments, do not murder. This is from Exodus 20:13, which also says you shall not murder. Pretty straightforward. If you murder someone, you're subject to punishment. It goes against the will of God and the laws that God laid out in the Ten Commandments with Moses. Actually on a different mountain, but we're still on a mountain. This law leaves a lot of wiggle room for people, however, because you can be, if you are a technically person, you could say that God didn't say that you couldn't injure that person right? Just as long as that harm didn't lead to their death. This law says nothing about your intentions or feelings toward that person. It just prohibits you from killing them. It seems like a pretty low threshold. Just as long as you don't murder people, you're fine. I think most of us, if not all of us in this room, can find ourselves on the good side of that law, having not murdered anyone Although I don't know all of you that well, so I guess it's possible. But it's a pretty safe assumption. 
But that's what the Israelites were told. But Jesus is teaching about a new way of life. He keeps the law that has already been established. It's still not going to be okay to murder people in the kingdom of heaven. That's still on the table. But he's going to expand that law. And he's going to get to the heart of the law. And he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Whoa. That's a shift, isn't it? It is no longer merely acceptable to not kill someone when you feel like it, but it is no longer acceptable to harbor anger in your heart against them. Jesus continues, again, anyone says to his brother, when he's saying that, he means anyone. Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. So just a little note of explanation here. Raka is an Aramaic term of contempt. Jesus spoke in the language of Aramaic, uh, even though the New Testament was written in Greek. So to say to someone, Raka means you are calling them an airhead or empty-headed. It would almost be like saying, oh, use your head. Not exactly the nicest thing to say. Jesus says that even to say that, makes you answerable to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish court system. If you had to go before the Sanhedrin, you've done something that was a chargeable offense and you needed to be judged. Jesus was saying that saying Raka was now a chargeable offense in the kingdom of heaven worthy of going to court. It was that serious of a matter. But he still doesn't end his teaching there. Jesus continues, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. In this short passage, Jesus has moved from murder to anger as the reason for judgment. In the kingdom of God, it is not merely enough to refrain from the physical act of murder. You must work to refrain from the anger that would prompt such an action. It is not enough to fulfill the bare minimum of what God requires, but life in the kingdom of God is life in pursuit of what God desires. And God doesn't desire that we lead a life of anger and contempt toward one another. When anger takes over, it can eat us up inside. It prevents us from living out the greatest commandment that Jesus taught to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we allow anger a foothold into our lives, it can begin to consume us and it can take up the space where love should reside. You know, I set the scriptures for our worship long before I write the sermons to go with them. And at the beginning of this week, I sat down and I opened my Bible and I started to read, started that process of researching, reflecting, and writing the sermon. And as I read the words of Jesus, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. I'm going to tell you the truth. I sat there because I was angry. Someone in my life had really hurt me. And instead of dealing with it, I let that hurt grow in me until it became anger. And I sat in my office, and I knew that I couldn't write this sermon, and I couldn't stand here and talk to you about anger unless I chose to do something about my own. And I didn't want to, 
I had been hurt and it was my right to be angry about it. And I didn't want to do anything about it because why should I? I should because I'm the one in control of my anger, not the other person. I needed to do something about it because I am responsible for my own anger, not the person who hurt me. So that day, that was Monday, Monday, I did what I had been avoiding doing for a very long time. And I decided it was time that I did something about it and talk to that person. I went home from work that day and I told Jason I would need to make a call before dinner just in case you thought it was him. It's not. And my heart was pounding. My Fitbit, I wear a Fitbit every day. It actually registered active minutes during that phone call. I, I work out at CrossFit and it doesn't always register active minutes. But I had 27 active minutes that night because of the way my heart was pounding as I made this call. It was one of the hardest calls I've ever made. But when it was done, it was as though this huge weight had been lifted from my body. I literally felt lighter. My anger was no longer this heavy burden that I was carrying with me. And I knew that if I didn't forgive, if I didn't say what was going on, it, I couldn't go on and live and continue to be authentic in who I was and trying to seek out a life that God desires. And I knew that I couldn't stand here and talk about this with you if I wasn't willing to own my own anger and take responsibility for it so that when I ask you to do it, I'm not a hypocrite in the process. And I understand that sometimes reconciliation cannot happen on our timeline. Sometimes the other person isn't ready for it, but we have to do the work on our side to free ourselves from letting anger control us. We cannot control what others choose to do or how others choose to respond to us, but we do have control over our own responses. I think so often anger comes from a place of hurt, a place of frustration or unmet expectations. And instead of working to make things right, we retreat into our anger. We close off and we carry this weight around with us and it really does weigh us down. And it makes the work of discipleship so difficult because the work of love requires that there is space in our hearts and in our lives for love to live. But if we hold on to anger, love cannot fill us. In the kingdom of heaven, there isn't room for anger and contempt toward one another. Jesus says that even those words that we now use toward one another that we think doesn't do harm those words are now worthy of judgment in the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, things will be different. We won't concern ourselves with how well others are living or not living out the kingdom of heaven. And we will consume ourselves with how we are following what God desires for us. In the kingdom of heaven, our words will be used to build up one another in love, to show grace, mercy, and compassion, and to seek to understand as to be understood. You know, I think of little Madeline this morning and how it is now our job to model what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like for her. 
We can be the church that reflects the world where it is not just okay, but expected to tear those down who disagree with you. Or we can be the church that reflects the kingdom of heaven where differences exist, but they exist in a communion of love and grace. You can choose to model for her a life where to be a Christian is to fulfill the technical requirements of God's law, or you can choose to model for her a life where we constantly strive to live out God's desire for us, which is to have life and to have it abundantly. So this morning, if you are holding on to some anger, if you are tempted to think of someone or to call someone a name or highlight all the ways in which they have failed you, I hope you can let that go. It's not because they deserve it. It's because you deserve it. The truth is, is there's no room for anger and bitterness and rage for one another in the kingdom of heaven. Instead, let God be in charge of the judgment for you. Or you will find yourself being judged. Instead, do the work that leads to your own healing and the healing of others. Do the work that leads to the healing of relationships, which often begins with speaking truth and love. Speaking truth to seek restoration and understanding. And then let go of your right to remain hurt and allow God to begin that healing process. Because when we heal the hurt, the anger will lessen also. And when we let go of our anger, it creates space for God to dwell in us. And that's at the heart of the kingdom of heaven, love. Every week, I have uh, the children of Kids Crossing, that's our daycare that, that is in our building and here throughout the week. I, I spend time with them each week. It's called Pastor Katie time. Ben, I think, has yet to figure out that Pastor Katie is mommy, but uh, at the end of that time together, we started doing a blessing uh, and I invite the kids to partner and they place their hands on the shoulder of their partner. And I'll say one week they were being really rambunctious and I thought, let's just get them out of here. And I was going to dismiss them. And I had one boy who said, but Pastor Katie, we didn't say the blessing. And so um, these things matter. But they have they have uh, their hand on the partner their partner's shoulder and I have them repeat after me. So this morning I'm going to invite you to do the same. I'm going to invite you to put your hand on the shoulder of someone sitting next to you. I don't want anyone to be left out of this, but if someone's really uncomfortable with being touched, just kind of put your hand in their direction. But I want everyone to to physically be connected to someone as we say this blessing together. And I want you to mean it. So you need to you need to feel it in your heart as you say the words. All right, now repeat after me. May God bless you to have a great day, to have a great week, and that you may know God's love and you may show God's love. Amen. Amen.